From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. We can do a very effective, very efficient job at taking the material that is on the surface and dissolving that material or reflowing it, you know, forcing it to reflow so that we can heal all the imperfections on the surface that come from the layering, it comes from uh, porosity, it comes from any uh, additional uh, support structures that were at some point on the surface or that, uh, you know, in the case of powder-based technologies, any partially fused powder that is on the surface. And when we do, when we reflow it, you know, we're basically creating a part that has been coated with a material of its own uh, and hasn't changed the mechanical properties of it. It hasn't changed the uh, dimensions of the part. And um, it also has healed all the imperfections on the surface. And by way of healing the imperfections, because of that, we are any property that is dependent on or that has issues with initiating uh, with crack initiation uh, at the surface uh, that's erased and that's where you know the material or the ultimate part sees most of the boosting uh, properties that was luis folgar luis is the executive vp of technology at amt post pro amt is one of the industry leaders for automating 3d printing post-processing Luis has a wealth of experience in the additive manufacturing sector, working previously at Nike and Paramount Industries, where he applied his material science expertise to the world of 3D printing. He joins the show today to talk about one of the most underrated parts of the 3D printing industry, post-processing, and how AMT is working to automate this part of the 3D printing workflow. Great. So welcome to the show. Why don't we get started and have you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and the company? Sure. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. It's great to be with you and appreciate the opportunity to just uh, talk to your audience and all, all the fans and all of us uh, in the additive manufacturing industry. Um, you know, my name is Luis Folgar and I've known you for a number of years. I've known of you and I've been uh, hearing a lot of good things. So uh, really excited to engage with you. Um, I'm the CTO for Additive Manufacturing Technologies, a technology company that focuses on post-processing solutions for the 3D printing industry. We're based out of Austin, Texas. Austin is home for me. Um, I've been here for three years now. And prior to AMT, I've been fortunate enough to be part of um, you know, multiple programs with large and small companies uh, anywhere from product development to OEMs and printer manufacturers through uh, you know, uh, end users like uh, prior to AMT, Nike, which uh, has been a phenomenal experience and I uh, still have very good uh, ties and uh, friendships there. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, for me, the career has revolved around additive manufacturing and 3D printing since the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't regret it. It has been very rewarding. And um, yeah, I don't see myself changing industries anytime soon. Awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited today 
to talk about post-processing because I think that's something we really haven't covered in a great deal in, in some of our previous episodes. So why don't you talk a little bit about AMT and kind of what the what the focus of the company is, what sorts of products do you guys have that supports the additive manufacturing ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. You know, additive manufacturing technologies started in 2017 and Joseph Crabtree really had the vision to uh, do something different for the 3D printing industry. The, there is a lot of promise on the technology, whether you're doing metals or plastics. I think it's the future, like they say, it's here today. But the reality is that to produce these phenomenal parts that our technologies are producing, there is still a very significant amount of effort and labor involved. A lot of it comes from the post-processing that has to be done in order to the part to be finished and before it's ready to be used. So, you know, post-processing has been around since the very beginning of, uh, you know, rapid prototyping back in the day. Uh, as it has evolved into additive manufacturing, I think the biggest change has been on the printers, all the improvement that has been done on the materials, the the material portfolio, the performance of those materials, the robustness and repeatability of the technologies. It's been phenomenal. I mean, it's just been an all around great story for the manufacturing industry. But what, ironically, what hasn't changed is being the post-processing side of the equation for 3D printing and for additive manufacturing. So that's where, you know, Joseph saw the opportunity to focus on that particular challenge, because it really is the barrier in, uh, to transition to production. And our company brings a very unique approach to automating the workflow that needs to take place before the part is uh, uh, ready to be used. So from the moment that it is done out of the printer to uh, the cleaning, the support removal, or the surface treatment uh, that needs to be done prior to that part being uh, usable. And essentially our flagship product, you know, for us, we started with uh, surface smoothing because everything that we face today, a lot of the issues when it comes to uh, parts being fragile or um, uh, properties not being where they need to be, they start at the surface. Like when from, you know, my background is material science engineering, right? So I really focus on material properties, the design of the material, what is the right material for the right application? Uh, what is the, the, the most efficient process with the right material for a given uh, product. So when when you truly get into the science of materials, um, you can design a material for an application and for a process. But you know, when it comes to additive, all of that is caveated. It needs to be caveated with the fact that we have a layer by layer process that significantly it, it throws a wrench right on the whole equation. It needs to address certain things that come from both uh, material and process interactions. And no one has been able to control those so far. Even you know when the process or the uh, printer 
manufacturers try to do it through software, for example, or when the material companies try to do it through material uh, properties and design of materials, it just cannot be accomplished because you cannot predict a lot of different processing conditions for different ge geometries. So it really opens up this opportunity to look at it on a different way and say, you know what, let's look at it from an additional step, an additional post process that needs to be done. And if you get scientific enough, um, you understand that the root cause of all the evils starts at the surface of the parts because of the layers. So um, that's what we focus on in the flagship product has been a vapor chemical smoothing process. And from there, we expanded into a depowdering and you know, support removal, uh, coloring, and a whole gamut of uh, offerings that we're now looking to integrate and provide a, a, as a solution for automating the entire workflow. Do you focus on a specific type of technology? So SLS, MJF, DMLS, where, where is kind of the sweet spot for the, the processes that, that you've been developing? Yes, our technology has focused around uh, plastics and essentially thermoplastics. And, you know, we, we find that at the moment, it's uh, the adoption of the thermoplastics has just exponentially gone up. Uh, and a lot of the solutions that we offer are targeted to thermoplastic, whether it is powder-based processes, you know, for powder-based fusion or extrusion-based uh, filament extrusion type of processes. Uh, great success. Uh, we try to remain agnostic to the process and the, the materials. Uh, so our, our solutions are uh, universal, if you will, as far as uh, solutions for the thermo in the thermoplastics world for additive manufacturing. So I imagine there being a material scientist, you get, it's quite a exciting field because you get to kind of look at the MSDS sheet in reverse and say, what's going to eat away at this part and, and give me some, some smoother surfaces. So when, when you're thinking about how to kind of address the challenge of surface finish, let's take SLS, for instance, you or MJF, whatever it may be. Most of the materials right now are PA-12s, maybe PA-11s, um, but that's quickly expanding into some elastomers and to polypropylene and, and others. Um, does your process kind of scale with that? Do you have to do, change formulations and, and do different approaches depending on the material? Or is that something that you're trying to, to build out as, as the industry grows there with, with new more materials and and profiles of, of available offerings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Being a material scientist, you know, it's almost uh, you're you're wired to selectively look at um, different properties and, and find different solutions that work with different for different materials, right? And if you look at a solution for uh, smoothing or in this case dissolving a plastic which is essentially what we're doing just in a very controlled way the challenge is how do you find one uh, uh, chemical that can do the job for all the different materials all the different thermoplastics out there and that is where the key in chemistry knowledge and uh, uh, the research and development that went in into this technology came into play 
where we have one chemistry that will treat essentially about 95% of all the thermoplastics that are out there. And it works, I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, the, there has been a lot of science that went into, uh, and I, you know, I can get into it, don't want to bore, don't want to board uh, all the, the audience with all the scientific stuff behind it. But essentially we've found something that it's been um, tuned uh, with the polarity of the polymers so that we can dissolve them, we can treat them without damaging the polymer chains. And essentially by introducing engineering controls with the equipment, we can do a very effective, very efficient job at taking the material that is on the surface and dissolving that material or reflowing it, you know, forcing it to reflow so that we can heal all the imperfections on the surface that come from the layering, it comes from uh, porosity, it comes from any uh, additional uh, support structures that were at some point on the surface or that, uh, you know, in the case of powder-based technologies, any partially fused powder that is on the surface. And when we do, when we reflow it, you know, we're basically creating a part that has been coated with a material of its own uh, and hasn't changed the mechanical properties of it. It hasn't changed the uh, dimensions of the part. And um, it also has healed all the imperfections on the surface. And by way of healing the imperfections, because of that, we are any property that is dependent on or that has issues with initiating, uh, with crack initiation uh, at the surface, uh, that's erased. And that's where, you know, the material or the ultimate part sees most of the boosting uh, properties. We're talking about elongation of break, for example, impact resistance, uh, fatigue under load, and, and those type of properties. So as you kind of work to get this solution into the more hands of users, where in the process do they usually, do you usually start that conversation about helping someone improve their overall workflow and post-processing? Is it kind of right when they buy the, the machine, they realize, okay, we're buying an SLS or MJF system. We know what the raw field of these parts is. That's not going to be good enough for us. We need to find some solution to do that. Or is it kind of immediate right when they're buying the printers or do people have to kind of fumble around? It's like, oh, like we got this part, like we'd wish it was smoother. We can have some guy sand it for a while and, and dip coat it or something. Like where, where in the kind of the ecosystem on the, the sales side, do you guys usually start the conversation with, with showcasing your technology? A great question. You know, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised um, to, to see that now it's starting a lot sooner. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it, it's not uncommon these days to start a conversation before the sales of the printer happens. So, and I think that's a result of the hyper-awareness um, on the, the lessons learned from the past, right? People that have tried to enter 3D printing thinking that, you know, uh, all of a sudden there's going to be this magic switch that changes from traditional manufacturing to additive manufacturing and learning that it's not that easy because there are challenges like post-processing. I think all those lessons have been learned and are taken by the newcomers um, 
to pay attention to the entire workflow from CAD to part, right? And it, that includes post-processing. So we are finding ourselves uh, being plugged in very early on in the conversations, which is very pleasant. But we also, you know, um, are working with the a very large existing customer and user base of 3D printing technologies, which um, they are, what they have, quote unquote, you know, has worked so far, works for them. And um, they don't necessarily see the value of why switching at the moment. They've made it work. Remember, I mean, these people have like spent years, sweat and tears to like uh, make a very imperfect process work by, you know, whatever it takes. And it has been a tremendous amount of effort. But uh, for those that already have a process in place that has worked, um, it is a re-education to just teaching how to do things better. And um, one of the challenges that we've seen is that we have to re-educate the entire industry about you know, post-processing because there is this very negative connotation about post-processing. When you think post-processing, you, you think like very dirty work, you know, it's an extra step. Uh, now it's gonna take longer to produce something that is already takes, you know, uh, it's very slow and um, uh, you're adding cost to something that is already very expensive. So, you know, the, all those negative connotations we're, we're dealing with and saying, you know what, like this is exactly why we're doing it because there is a better way. And uh, it has worked out really, really well. And what we're seeing is that there doesn't have to be, we're trying to change that negative connotation of uh, uh, post-processing so that, you know, Think of, for example, like the film industry, right? Like you have the concept of post-production, right? Like you, you film like an entire movie and it's the editing portion of it after the movie was shot. Like it's the, you know, is that post-production step that really deliver the final quality product of an hour and a half film that you and I enjoy, right? And it is only through that that you really distill the essential of the product. I think that's what we've done in that, by the way, that's actually like a really good analogy because that industry has come up with an, a very automated way to do that because it takes so long uh, and it was so tedious of a process. So, you know, I think that is essentially what we're doing. We are completely automating the post print uh, workflow so that you know, we can have parts that, yes, they have been 3D printed, but guess what? You can't tell, like you, you wouldn't be able to tell that they've been 3D printed because they look so good. Like there are no layers in there. So um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And I imagine part of the automation process that you guys are building in this ecosystem is that le lends itself to a level of repeatability as well. I mean, I've dug out parts out of SLS builds and, and had to clean them and put them in the blaster. And I mean, if you're tired one day, sometimes you get more powder out than the next day. And sometimes you're lazier and sanding than, than you are for one part than the other. I mean, in your process, you can lend a certain level of automation as, especially as some of these part requirements and production jobs get larger and larger, right? It's, it's, it's only going to go up. And, and so having that back-end process really at, at each step, depowdering and smoothing and whatever else may, may build efficiency over time. 
Yeah, yeah, bingo. And, and I mean, you just hit it. It's, uh, <laughs> and it's interesting because that's the story of our company. Our, we started with uh, surface moving, but guess what we learned is the single biggest variable of um, surface smoothing, the result of the surface smoothing uh, process was the quality of the upstream depowdering or the, the cleaning step. And because it's so variable, it is still human, right? Like there's a, there's a person on the other end or like doing the finishing and the turning, if they're having a good day or a bad day, you're gonna end up with a different part. Like, so um, we can't move forward as an industry when that's the, the reality on the ground. and. That's um, uh, where we decided to go and offer an automated solution that can guarantee a, a uniformity and repeatability through that workflow. Um, and it, you know, it's being received very, very well. We keep improving that technology. I think there is much to be done. Um, and the, the, the idea is to make it repeatable no matter what the geometry, no matter what the material, no matter what the process. Uh, so there lies the challenge of being able to offer something that is universal and that it works every time, no matter what the, what the conditions. But, you know, so far we have been doing it very well. And the customers, all those people, you know, I think where, where we're very successful is in engaging with those customers that, like I said before, they, they've made it work, right? They understand what they have and why it works. We, we want to listen to the voice of that customer because if you, if you pay enough attention, they, they have the solution. I mean, it, it's just a matter of having a company that is willing to invest in uh, the, you know, the time, resources to turn a business around it and, and turn it into an automated piece of equipment. And when I think about kind of smoothing and kind of going back to the smoothing conversation, um, especially with kind of SLS and maybe FDM parts, um, generally when I think of it, you kind of have two options, right? You have the mechanical, like throw some media or rocks or ceramic at it and in a bucket and vibrate it around and add some water and you can smooth it that way. That's probably limited by kind of geometry and, and overall dimensions is there other kind of advantages that chemical smoothing would have over some of the, the other means I can only think of, of mechanical smoothing, but right. um, what do you guys see as kind of the, the key advantages for um, the chemical approach or vapor approach? I, I think you just hit it. I mean, you know, you, you understand this very well. Uh, you can, I mean, you, you don't have to focus on um, just tumbling or mechanical tumbling, for example. I mean, look at sanding, just just hand sanding, for example. Uh, I mean, you can get a really polished part, right? But think of like the amount of effort to, to get there. Um, and not to say that there are some parts that you just, like you said, depending on the geometry, you just cannot do it. Um, so I think that's the biggest uh attribute like the biggest advantage of vapor smoothing is our ability to control the areas that get smooth and do it in a very uniform way. So think of, you know, external versus internal cavities or think of lattice structures, for example, how do you ensure and guarantee that the same level of surface roughness that you have on the outside, you're going to have on the inside? Well, you can do it through 
different ways, maybe through slurries and tumbling. But it's uh, when when you compare those two approaches, in one you're using media and you're eroding the surface of the part. You're putting now microplastic into detergents that have to be treated before they get disposed. There is water involved. So there is a lot of like soft cost that, again, you know, it's, it's all labor, right? Like uh, we can automate it, but there's still labor in the downstream treatment of those uh, uh, disposables that needs to take place. Uh, plus, there is also a fair amount of knowledge that depending on the material, depending on the geometry, you now have to select and keep in stock uh, side, different sizes of media, different shapes of media, um, and build that, you know, all, all that recipe uh, for the, any different occasion. So that's what our, the vapor smoothing, you know, when you have a chemical that can work for any geometry, any uh, thermoplastic uh, allows you to just um, automate the entire process, do a closed loops uh, treatment so that it's safe and uh, do it in a way that you can, where you can use only what you need, focus on just like using the amount of chemical that you need to treat that batch and recycle it, reuse it, you know, like why use water if water doesn't need to be there, why waste chemical when the chemical can be reclaimed and reused? You know, um, why put plastic in the water downstream, microplastic from the you know all, all the stuff that is being eroded from the surface when we can use it and actually use it, reflow it to coat the same surface? You know, so it's a much cleaner um, uh, way. But again, I'm trying. Uh, hopefully. Um, you know, it doesn't sound very simple. I think it's been a, a fair amount of engineering uh, that went into creating the controls that allow us to, to do that. So kudos to our engineering manufacturing team um, because yes, vapor smoothing for those of you that are uh, experienced, uh, you know, it, it has been around uh, and it's been done uh, for many years, but it has issues with the, the type of chemicals that were used at the time and with the methods and the technologies, the, the, the way in which it was delivered also. So um, yeah, very proud of what we've accomplished and I certainly appreciate you uh, fully understanding what the challenge is. And when you, you mentioned in the beginning that you guys are also looking at some of the, the like once you smooth it or maybe before you smooth it, you have some coloring options as well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of just what have you seen in, in the industry in regards to, to color? I mean, especially for the FDM and SLS world, you have, like Henry Ford said, every, I can give you any color you want as long as it's black or white yeah. <laughs> so, right? or gray after it goes through some cleaning process in the sandblaster. <laughs> yeah, you know, color is a very interesting one and color has always been this, uh, almost like the next frontier for no matter what process you have, uh, you know, um, it's, we, we live and breathe, we are just emotionally attached to color, right? So anytime that you put color on a, on a 3D printed part, even if it's a, a bad print, it, it just looks better. Um, and, you know, but applying color on 
3D printing, it's, it's challenging because you can put it on the material, you can compound it into the plastic, but after it goes through the extrusion process or the printing, the, you know, the fusion process, it changes, right? You, you can't fully nail it. Um, whoever needs color, aside from black, like if black is easy, um, or white. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, whoever needs color, typically has very strict requirements to, to really nail it and do a, you know, a color matching or meet a specific spec or, um, you know, they're, they're staying within a, a very specific Pantone color, for example. So trying to do that is very challenging. And what we find out is that you can do it before or after. Uh, with our technologies, our approach, surface smoothing, it doesn't matter whether you do it before or after, um, or, you know, if you did it um, in situ, like for example, the multi-jet fusion process where you can print in color right now, and gives you all the, the color capabilities. Um, a lot of extrusion-based processes now are, have the capability of doing multi-color materials and very vibrant colors too, you know. Um, those are always going to be um, filtered or slightly modified because of the imperfections on the surface. So if we can put this uh, uh, uniform finish on the surface, I think you get a, a more vibrant, uh, true color and uh, you get better retention of the color. And it just looks like a molded part um, with the technology that we've, you know, by being able to control the process, now all of a sudden we can control the amount of glossiness that is on the surface, for example, because you can treat it apart. If you're trying to smooth it, like, you know, how smooth is smooth, right? So um, it's a very um, uh, subjective term. And because of that, we, we were fully aware that we had to be able to quantify it. And if, if you get to that point where you can control it, then you can, you can envision parts that can have some texture or that can be highly polished and smooth, right? And, but if you have those capabilities, when you introduce color, now you can play with different levels of uh, glossiness, different levels of um, uh, resolution on those colors. So, but we are also able to introduce colors uh, on the parts afterwards for, you know, if you're using uh, powder-based processes and you're using white powders, for example, uh, to do it after. Uh, and, you know, uh, when you have a rough surface, if you're putting the color after, think of um, when you're painting a wall, right? Like, um, the amount of paint that you use to cover a rough surface is very different. I don't know if you paint in your, your house, you know, like if, uh, but uh, I remember uh, painting my, you know, my home and uh, yeah, anytime you have a rough surface is, is, yeah, you spend a lot more money, a lot more paint and a lot more time going over uh, those walls. So it's the same concept here. When you have a rough surface, you're going to need a lot more dye or a lot more, uh, temperature, pressure, and uh, exposure time so that you can achieve the same result as if you had a smooth surface, for example. Right. Do you see particular industries 
more excited about your technology and the potential to get really smooth injection molded looking parts um, with your process that are really pulling kind of their their vendors or kind of their their suppliers to to use your technology? Absolutely. I think that, you know, hands down, um, the, the biggest interest we've seen uh, has come from the consumer product. Uh, consumer product is just because, you know, it, just the appeal, the, the appearance of the, uh, of the part means everything, right? Like if, if it looks like a prototype, it's just will never be considered for as an end use part. Even if it has all the properties, even if, you know, on paper, um, it's got all the credentials to perform. You just can't convince, you can't get past the visual. And I think because of that, we've seen consumer products being, um, you know, hypersensitive and uh, very, very interested in engaging at a very aggressive level. to the point that they, you know, they want to further develop this process. They want to invest in these areas to to really solve this issue from, uh, for for the three D printing industry. Uh, and then, aside from that, you know, um, we've seen others where once they realize the boost that they see on the mechanical properties or the performance, um, they they start demanding that finish because it's it's. It's that surface um, uh, perfection, if you will, that is is what is giving them the the extra um, uh, the extra uh, performance in in, in the, the better properties. So, uh, and in in that in that respect, I'll say uh, of those industries, I'll say automotive is one of them. Uh, you know, uh, well, fatigue resistance, you know, fatigue under load is uh, is very important, uh, and also. You know, I mean, needless to say, is we're sealing the surface of parts. So a lot of times, if the part is exposed to fluids or whether it's water or any other chemical, uh, you you get rid of that process without the need to coat or infiltrate and seal the parts. Uh, you're you're just doing it through the vapor chemical smoothing. Awesome. And we were talking a little bit before we hit record about your new facility in Austin. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, yes. So um, our headquarters here in, are in um, Austin, Texas. Uh, we're actually in Cedar Park, uh, just north of Austin. We opened the facility last year, you know, just before the pandemic. Uh, worst time to be opening a facility, right? We couldn't, you know, even up until now, we haven't had the opportunity to have a proper open house. But um it's been very, very interesting and comforting to see that a lot more people are coming by and visiting us. Uh, we have an entire demo room for our, uh, our customers. And essentially what we do is the uh, center of excellence for the technology here in North America. We do all the uh, training, uh, sales and marketing out of this facility. Uh, we have the the ability to do uh, R&D and engage with you know, multiple customers that want to explore this technology further and um, use it for things that you know wouldn't be uh, out of the box. Um, it wouldn't be so obvious to uh, uh, 
to you and I. I mean, we get surprises. It's like everything, right? Like you create this tool. I think we've created this tool. We put it in the hands of customers and now your customer figures out how to use it in ways that you had never expected. Um, I think that's what's happened. So we have the ability to engage with customers and, and further develop things. But everything is done here from uh, from Austin. And Austin is just a phenomenal uh, hub for 3D printing, as you're aware. We have uh, University of Texas, you know, UT at Austin, they're, they're phenomenal. And uh, we have other uh, industry partners, OEMs, material providers, uh, service providers, service bureaus. Um, when it comes to 3D, when it comes to uh, uh, 3D printing, I'd say uh, Austin is really a, a hopping hub for, for North America, and we're very proud and happy to be here. Fantastic. So we'll have to what, visit sometime. Absolutely. I'd definitely get out of the Chicago weather. So, <laughs> um, so is there anything you're looking forward to in 2021? You got the facility open or are there any uh, new tech roadmap or any events that coming up that, that you're excited to, to talk about? Yes, we're looking forward to uh, the, all the trade shows coming back. I mean, believe it or not, uh, I think it took 2020 to realize how important the face-to-face and, you know, the uh, interactions through all the industry shows are. So um, we, we're looking forward to those coming back. But also as, you know, as a company, I think we were able to respond and react uh, and change uh, our strategy. So we quickly pivot to, um, you know, what, 2021 will bring and um, what the demand is going to be like. And what we're seeing is that, you know, in order to predict what, uh, uh, what the new trends or the new things that we should be doing in 2021 are, I think you look, you need to look at what didn't happen in 2020 and um, understand that a lot of people, as we all get back to work, are going to be in a rush to like, get caught up and get those things done. And um, one of those is integration, being able to integrate all the different modules for the workflow. And for us, that has been, uh, I think the biggest uh, uh, goal for 2021, being able to offer the full integration, you know, end to end when it comes to the post-processing workflow. And we have a lot of announcements coming up on that front uh, and, you know, we were able to, uh, one of the ways that we responded to the pandemic was also to go full on the R&D mode. Uh, so we actually invested in the research and development so that we didn't get behind and we didn't get delayed on the uh, development roadmap for our product portfolio. So, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of what the team has done and what we accomplished while some of us were working from home or with a reduced staff uh, at our facility, but yeah, new uh, new models and new capability for both surface smoothing and also uh, depattering, and and the integration of it all has been uh, has been something that we're you know we're very proud of and we're very excited to launch it and release it here uh, soon. That's awesome. Well, Luis, thank you so much for joining today, and hopefully see you in person soon. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. And uh, kudos to you for making, you know, um, this podcast available. Uh, Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you.